0: Welcome to Understanding the Law. Your host for the program is Peter Lamont. Mr. Lamont is a business and personal law attorney and the principal of the law offices of Peter J. Lamont. The firm has offices in New Jersey, New York, Colorado, Puerto Rico and affiliated offices throughout the country. Understanding the Law is a weekly radio broadcast discussing a variety of legal topics that affect our listeners. Please note that this broadcast does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship with any of our listeners. As always, we welcome calls from our listeners. If you wish to discuss any of today's topics, please call our switchboard at 347-855-8831. And now, your host, Peter Lamont. Welcome to episode 45.
1: Today it's going to be a great show. We have with us uh, Yukari Kane. She is a former um, reporter at the Wall Street Journal in the uh, the tech division. Uh, She has had a great deal of involvement reporting on Apple, uh, both with Steve Jobs at the helm and post-Steve Jobs, and we're going to be talking with her about her new book, Haunted Empire, Apple After Steve Jobs. So Yukari, thank you very much for being with us today.
2: Thank you.
1: Uh, since we have only 30 minutes with you, um, we have sponsorship uh, issues we need to get to, but we will do that after you drop off so that we don't uh, and, you know, waste any time with you. Uh, so, Yukari, can you give us a little brief history of your involvement um, with the Wall Street Journal and how, You ended up on the tech beat, if you will. I know that prior to writing for the Wall Street Journal, you reported, uh, I think you were U.S. uh, News and World Report, and you had uh, reported on Sony and Nintendo. So how did you get into the tech field and and end up at the Wall Street Journal?
2: Well, um, I've been covering technology for almost 15 years now, Uh, actually started – at uh, really covering it at, at Reuters and um when uh, Nokia Mobile and uh, Motorola were battling it out so it was um quite a long time ago and uh, I uh then I uh, was in Tokyo as a, as a correspondent, first for Reuters and then Wall Street Journal, and I, I continued to cover their, the tech industry there. And uh, that's where I really covered uh, Sony and Nintendo, uh, as well as NTT Docomo and the, and the mobile industry over there. Um, <clears throat> Sony was particularly interesting because because they had uh, lost their founder, founding visionary you know, decades ago, and, 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 and they were still talking about it. Right. Uh, and uh and in around 2008 9 uh i came to uh, san francisco with the wall street journal to cover apple and uh, this was around the time that steve jobs had just lost a ton of weight during, and uh had appeared at wwdc at the worldwide developers conference and everybody really uh, was shocked and and couldn't figure out what was going on and and started worrying for the first time about an Apple after Steve Jobs. Um, right. And uh, and uh, I was there for you know covering Apple for maybe three years and uh, it coincided with some of the the fastest strongest growth at Apple. Um, covered I was in terms of product launches I was there from the. The launch of uh, I think my first product launch was, was a Mac Air, and then um, the the iPhone 4, and uh, and uh, the iPad, of course, a couple of iterations right. of the iPad before I, I kind of branched out to write this book.
0: Oh,
1: it's it's interesting because if I'm not mistaken, I think you were the first person to report on Steve Jobs' liver transplant. Is that accurate?
2: Yeah. Yes, I um, I, I broke that story
1: so you uh you know you're certainly someone who has uh, a great deal of credibility, and I think that uh, what makes this book Haunted Empire" so unique uh, beyond other books that have been written about Apple is that this book has a number i mean you, you're talking about nearly two hundred plus sources that you relied on to write this book, coupled with the fact that you had. I mean, you were there with Steve Jobs, you spoke with him prior to going on the air, you told me that he yelled at you a few times, so you really kind of, you know, got the heart of it, and then obviously, you know, post-Steve Jobs. Jobs. So let's talk about uh, the writing of the book, and then we'll get into the topics, but um, 200 sources is pretty incredible for Apple, who's generally a very, very closed-mouthed community.
2: Thank you. Um, well, you know, it's uh, it's funny because I, you know, I didn't consciously go about this thinking, you know, I needed 200 sources, and, and I really only calculated them up at the end. Um, and and I was uh, I was just a little surprised as well, but I think, um, yeah, it it just um, I I basically kept talking to people until I was satisfied with the accuracy of the information I'd gotten. Uh, sometimes you know, if that was a conversation just between Steve and and one other person, it's it's one other person. But in in many cases, such as the, right, how I put together the the Tim Cook profile, it was it was dozens.
1: Now there's there's some criticism. Obviously, there always will be, especially when you're dealing with Apple, because people either love Apple and and then they become nearly religious with it, or they hate it. Um, and there's there's people out there that are going to say. Oh well, the sources that you relied upon—you know—who who are they? They're people that are disgruntled. Um, mm-hmm. That's not true, is it?
2: No, and I think that's why um, that's why I, I had to talk to as many people because that was something that I was very cognizant of—that um, there are disgruntled people—and you don't you don't want to get a skewed, uh, biased opinion, or or at least you don't want that to be your only one only. Uh, source um you know i think it's um it's imp- it w- one of the things that that i'd like people to know is that uh you know when i first started writing about this this topic my my personal opinion was that if Ab- anyone can keep the momentum going and not miss a beat it would be apple i mean i do have tremendous respect for for the executives and and the team and and the people who work there and and um you know and i use their products i i wrote this book on a Mac air and, and, and I use an iPhone as well as an iPad.
1: You know, I think that, uh, what's really something that people need to look into when, when you look at this book, it's not, I mean, I, I've seen the things that are on the websites. Oh, it's, you know, Apple is doomed book. It's criticism of Apple. I read the book and I don't, I don't view it that way. I think that, uh, you took a very journalistic approach to the book, I think that it's a very fair book, and I think that the people that are out there in the tech industry today and in the financial industries, if they're honest with what's going on with Apple, I think it is a fair analysis and criticism, but I don't think your book goes so far, and this is what I'd like to address to those people who have criticized it, to say that this is an I hate Apple book or Apple is doomed. I think that this is an observation of its current state and, and really, uh, from somebody who uses Apple products, so you like Apple and, you know, you appreciate their innovation, but you, me, and every other Apple user, I think, would like to see continued innovation and growth. And so that's what this book, for me, is about. Is that what you were trying to, to accomplish?
2: Absolutely. Uh, you know, for me, it's 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 about capturing a, a certain time and place in Apple's history. Uh, this is, a, you know, I, I think that no matter what happens, it's it's a challenging time. I mean, for any company to lose somebody as greater than life as Steve Jobs, and then to keep moving at the same time as uh, they're dealing with. Um, you know a relatively newly found status as this dominant company um, you know they really were an underdog for a long time and uh, and so they 're faced with a lot of challenges they're they 're very global companies so so the challenges are coming from everywhere and um, and whether they can they can pull through or not. It's still an interesting time to be capturing, and, and that's what I wanted to do. And and um, you know, I, I think I do offer some of my thoughts about where the direction that Apple is heading. But you know, if if, if they, I mean, I still think that there's there's plenty of time for, for for adjustments or or changes in trajectories, and that will be another great story.
1: Yeah, and I think that um, I think a lot of people at Apple because they have read the book. Um, you know, Tim Cook obviously commented on that. We'll get to that in a second. But I think that um, when you put the, the blustery uh, rejection by Tim Cook of the book aside, I think what you probably have is people looking at what you've written and saying, wow, this is mainstream. This is what people are thinking. What are we going to do about it? So I think that not only have you given us a good book, but I think that it's probably hitting home with Apple and people are taking uh, some sort of, of – um, whether it's guidance or direction or whatever you want to call it, from the book. So I would imagine that, uh, that, that people are, are going to you know, take your comments and observations and, and hopefully do something with them. Uh, Tim Cook is quoted as saying about the book, this nonsense belongs with some of the other books I've read about Apple. It fails to capture Apple, Steve, or anyone else in the company. And then he goes on to talk about how many employees and, and you know, doesn't quite address the book itself but he concludes with um, this has been the heart of apple from day one and will remain at the heart for decades to come i'm very confident about our future we've always had many doubters in history they only make us stronger i don't think of you as a doubter uh, how, how did you I, respond to, to, to tim
2: well you know i think um, I, you know officially my statement was something about touching a nerve um you know for me personally uh it's uh, I was surprised that Tim Cook responded because Apple tends not to respond on things like this. Um, and, and I do think I must have hit a nerve. But um, but Apple has shot down other stories I've broken before. I also, in addition to the liver transplant, I, I wrote about the iPad before it came out. I wrote about the, the lower-end iPhone, um, you know 3 3 years ago right. and uh Apple shot that one down as well and 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 they've come out to be true and so I don't I don't put a whole lot of stock um that comment also came out in the afternoon on the first day that my book came out and so you know i'm not sure that he read the book uh because right. um you know because it's not it's not a doubting book it's more of a exploratory book and and i think you know and if if anything if you read the book that that will be the sense you get because you know for for a while i, I i'm i'm exploring and and it does um it, it, you know my conclusions are stronger at the end
1: yeah i i really do think that anyone who has looked at this book and then read an online review and, and had people say, oh, you know, it's, a, it's a, an Apple-bashing book. That's really not it. I think it's the way you approach reading it. And I think if you approach it with an open mind, you'll see that this is a book that has a great deal of value in it. And I think it's written by someone who has tremendous involvement in dealing with Apple and knowing the company itself. So I don't, I don't see that at all. And I also uh, would question whether or not Tim read the book when he published uh, his, his comments. But I am certain that um, a book that strikes a nerve like this, people have read it. And I think that it's a good thing. I think any big company, and they're huge, I think they need to see not just from customers but what the general sense of the public is. And I think that for everyone who has criticized the book, you're going to have 10 people who say, no, I totally get it. Uh, so I, yeah. I appreciate what you've done with the book.
2: Thanks. And, you know, and, and a, the other thing I'd like to point out, too, is that it's also a book with a lot of very rich characters. I mean, people, you don't pull the kind of successes that, that Apple has without having some really interesting people inside. And, and um, they have been eclipsed by Steve Jobs for a long time. And, and I try to peel back the curtain a little bit on, on them as well.
1: Let's talk about Steve for a second because – We've seen the movies. We've read the books. Everyone has their different version of him from, you know, an eccentric genius to a wild man. And um, what is your experience? Because I I know that you uh, met with him more or less after he had uh, become sick, become ill. What was your experience with him and what did you think of him as a a person and as uh, an innovator?
2: Uh, I mean I think he was all of those things. He was he was full of contradictions. Um, in my reporting it became very clear. I mean the the, the wild eccentric genius, that's that's certainly true. There are um he can also be very, very kind, um, especially with, with people who um are sick. And I, I heard stories about how uh you know, somebody with um the uh uh, a, a sick teenager came to uh apple with the make a wish foundation and he spent all day with with that with that uh young man and, and his mother and, and answered his questions and, and and made his day and 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 so there are stories like that too and uh he's um he's very dynamic he's uh you know people fear him but people love him i mean the thing that I kept hearing over and over again is that that uh he made people did things under him that they never thought they never imagined they could do. And so he really did seem to bring out the best in people.
1: Now, if you take that approach, because I mean, uh, those, those people who have followed Steve and Apple, um, you know, about the working on Christmas and uh, you know, he'd have an idea and at the last minute he'd want to change it. And there's a lot of um, thought given to, well, It's his company. He resurrected the company. He drove the company. And so people are going to listen to what he says because, you know, what else are you going to do? He's he's running it, and it's okay to take the risk. Contrast him, if you will, with Tim Cook, who started off as the COO in in operations, which is a completely different approach to business.
2: Right. He's, um, you know, he's the guy who made the trains run on time. And so... That's um, that's extremely important to any company, and and, and the better that person is, uh, the better the company will be run. But um, you you can't expect vision from that kind of a person. Um, the other the other thing is, is that um, you know, I, I just a hired manager is never going to be the same as as the founder and and savior in Steve Jobs's case
1: right now that's true to an extent but take a company if you will like uh, Walt Disney who obviously was in the same sort of situation where they had the founder the founder dies and people take his vision and now whether you like Disney or not you know it's it's a massive company that has taken in all sorts of new ventures and assimilated other companies do you have any opinion concerning how Disney has been able to move forward without its visionary, compared to where Apple is right now?
2: You know, Disney is um, it's, it's 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 a tricky one to think about because it did struggle for a really long time, and, and if you remember, it was um, it really kind of got boosted. Um, in terms of, of of energy um and creation again after bought Pixar, which was another company that Steve Jobs had, had saved. Mm-hmm. Um so 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 they 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 got the Steve Jobs injection as well. And so yeah. I you know, if there's there's a lesson to be learned, I mean I think you know, maybe that Apple one one way that Apple could re energize is through an outside force like that. Uh, but then, on the other hand, you have Apple's very tight knit uh, culture to contend with as well, and, and I don't know that uh, it, they'd be in a place at, at the present moment when they would they would accept something like that.
1: Do you think, just based upon the people that you've spoken to in writing the book, do you think that it's just not in Tim Cook's makeup because he's an operations guy? or do you think that Steve was just so genius that no one could fill his shoes do you, you know or, or is it a little of both
2: i think it's it's a little bit of both um you know tim, steve was a genius but he also left chaos in his wake and tim cook is probably a better business manager from that that perspective and so if you if you're talking about just um, cleaning up Apple and, and turning it into a well-oiled machine, uh, you know, Tim Cook is, can do that. Uh, but one of the things that Steve Jobs, you know, did have is, is he had this reality distortion field, this ability, this um, this power of persuasion, and uh, and I think that that is missing, and, and that is hurting Apple as well. And so, um, so it's both.
1: You know, we obviously, as a a law firm, we work with a lot of companies and we deal a lot with various CEOs from, you know, international corporations and and national corporations. And I have to say that a COO has a completely different makeup and take. They're not, in my opinion, risk takers. They are, um, you know, risk managers, if you will. And so I, I get what the point that you're making in the book is concerning Tim. And I think it's it's important to point out for those people that are going to say you're criticizing him, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think you're making an observation about mm-hmm. his skills. And, you know, you just said a minute ago that he is a better businessman, a good businessman. And that, you know, I think that needs to be brought out.
2: Yeah. I mean, he's, he's very much of a, a numbers person. Uh, he's a data analytics person. Uh, You know, he comes from an industrial engineering background. Uh, One of his professors told me that that what he has always excelled in, even at an early age, was identifying problems and fixing it. I mean, it's just a completely different mind frame. Um, You know, there's an interesting story that that one of uh, my sources told me about uh, discussions Surrounding their customer service, and, and Apple is very well known for, for um, you know, when a product launches and a customer has a problem, breaks a screen or something, even if it's their fault, they'll exchange it because they figure that the goodwill that they earn is um, will will be automatic marketing and and advertisement. Right. And and when that suggestion was initially made, Steve Jobs was like, you know, let's do it and And Tim Cook was like, "Wait, you know that costs us as well and um, And that you know he was on the side of not doing it right and and that's um that's a really interesting story to me because because it is one of the things that that makes Apple you know magical or, or special in the minds of people and consumers and uh, And you've got two opposing opinions.
1: Yeah, and I think that in that scenario Steve won out because a it's his company b he was very dynamic and convincing i mean you said he was a, a great um you know had a great ability to convince or persuade people and that's that's true now
2: and he was the boss that, and so the yeah. question is you know now that tim cook is the boss how are those decisions going to be made
1: yeah now with that missing element of creativity, and, and you're right, you know, he left a lot of destruction in his wake, but at the end of the day, I think the benefits outweighed the negatives. But who steps up and takes that creativity and now moves forward? Who, who do you think?
2: You know, I, I don't know. I, the, 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 the person that Apple has been putting forth as, as Steve's visionary successor is Jonathan Ive, the, mm-hmm. the head of industrial design. And he and Steve worked together for for many many years, and um, and I've no doubt that that Johnny under, gets how Steve is thinking um, or used to think. But my question there is that um, that Apple succeeded because of that partnership. You know, it's not in in Walter Isaacson's biography of Steve Jobs. There's there's questions that John or Johnny asks about. About who should be getting more credit and uh, but but I you know to me they, it worked because of that partnership, and the question is who is who's johnny 's partner now right um, everybody needs an editor I think any crea- anybody who creates anything will acknowledge that everybody needs an editor anybody everybody needs somebody to to sound their ideas off of that 's part of how ideas get polished and so if if Jonathan, Johnny is indeed the person that is functioning inside Apple as, as the visionary successor, I, I don't know who he's bouncing the ideas off of, who, who he's polishing his ideas.
1: Yeah, and then you have to worry and wonder if the scenario you discussed earlier where you know, Steve says, let's you know, give, give replacements and Tim's saying no, you have to wonder if the creative ideas that might be coming out of uh, IVE are being rejected for fear of you know failure in in other areas whether it's too much money or or whatever so you have to worry because now there's not that ultimate decision maker that says yeah let's just go for it it's somebody who's more reserved
2: mm-hmm. and 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 also keep in mind that um there are other members of the executive team like marketing chief Phil Schiller um that and uh the iTunes chief Eddie Q who um have worked with Steve for as just as long of a time and uh they were integral parts of Apple's success as well. So they're not, you know, they're not sitting back letting Johnny make all the decisions. I mean, they're, right. they're, um, they're visionary successors, too, in some ways. Um, you know, I think Apple's problem today isn't, isn't that there's no visionary, but there's no, um, there's no guy that, that can make that final decision because you've got everybody who, you know, you've got a lot of visions now, and you don't have yeah. one final visionary. You know,
1: it's interesting today, there was an article on Forbes.com, and they're talking about the four reasons why you should not buy Apple stock, and it has a lot of of direct uh, connection to some of the issues that you identified in your book. The number one reason not to buy is is Tim Cook, and they talk about him um, as a regulator, as someone who is unable to introduce, you know, new innovative product because he's confined to the operations role and that's something that I you know you discuss in your book as well as uh, other issues weak new product portfolio loss of market share and overvalued shares so it's just interesting to see that you're not the only one that that is thinking this way uh, and I say this just to respond to those who criticize anything that you've written in the book this is something that across the board in the financial sector as well as as you've seen on the forbes.com article that people are seeing and i think too that as an apple consumer and a product consumer myself i know you know there's not been anything that's been you know blowing my socks off since the original ipad mm-hmm. you know so yeah. i i think that um it's it's really i think a a good book i think uh i personally I told you before the show started, I like the chapters that deal with the various lawsuits, A, because I'm a lawyer, but, you know, they're interesting. And you see these, these continued lawsuits, and you'll see it with Apple forever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, you know, what would you, what would you think? Um, well, you know, I, I would say this. Apple's the innovator. They're the ones that have come up with the tablets. They're the ones that created the products, and now – You've got all these other companies that are copying them, making them cheaper. What kind of impact do you think that, um, you know, the, the companies that are now on the heels of Apple, Samsung, for example, coming out with tablets that, you know, are probably the closest rival to the iPad, what do you think that competition is going to force Apple to do, if anything?
2: You know, it's 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 an interesting question because I think uh, from what Tim Cook has said publicly, it seems like they are it's it's sending Apple into just more and more of this this very what they've always said before, but driving them into this corner because they keep talking about. Um, Design and improving design and 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 having the best product out there quality not not numbers um, but but it that's that's a game that they played really well when they were an underdog and they had a you know single percentage point market share now they're in a they're in a dominant position and they have to hold that um, they do have to innovate but they're also their customer base is much broader and uh, it's and and global. And so um, it's, you know, and, and I'm not sure what they have to do, but, um, but it's a tough position to be in because they, have, they are a target on, in yeah. everybody's sight.
1: Yeah, no, that's right. You know, um, we're, we're running out of time with you, but before uh, you go, I just want to say something else that's interesting that's happened with you. Uh, when T- uh, Tim Cook responded the way he did, I think that I saw out there in uh, various publications that you said that you would be open to speak to him, publicly or privately, to discuss it. Now, I personally would love to see <laughs> you and Tim Cook talk. I don't think it'll ever happen, but mm-hmm. that invitation still stands, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, I think it would be really interesting because I think that behind the mystique of Apple, behind the Steve Jobs, you know, sort of uh, untouchable. Persona. I'd like to see somebody say yes or no, you know, because how, how can you take the issues you identified in your book and simply say they don't exist? You talk to 200 people. You have the the, the history with the company. So how do you say they don't exist when everyone else sees it as well?
2: Exactly. I, it's, it's, and, and that's really my biggest – point and and I guess frustration as I was writing the book is that I just wanted to see somebody at Apple Tim Cook or anybody and acknowledge that these challenges exist because right now they haven't even acknowledged them. And and for me like part of my question is do they really not see them or are they so completely in denial and I think whether Apple how Apple does from here on uh hinges on that on that acceptance.
1: Yeah, I think so too. Well, Yukari, I want to thank you so much for being on today. Uh, the book, Haunted Empire: Apple After Steve Jobs, it's on sale everywhere. You get it on Amazon. Um, I, I think that uh, I, you know, I'm not I'm someone who reviews books and, and gives my opinion, but I read the book and I think that it's fascinating. I think that anyone who has any interest in business or technology should pick it up. Uh, do you have Yukari? any contact information that you'd like to give out, your website so that people could learn more about you and possibly ask questions if they have any.
2: Sure. Uh, my website is www.yukarikane.com, and I'm also on Twitter, at ukarikane.
1: All right, Yukari, thank you again so much. Uh, you know, if uh, in the future what typically happens with our shows is that we end up getting a lot of questions um, after after its initial broadcast. Do you think you'd be up for coming back at some time and just answering some of the listeners' questions?
2: Oh, it'd be my pleasure.
1: All right. Thank you so much, Yukari. Uh, Yukari Kane, the book Haunted Empire, Apple, after Steve Jobs. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so that was uh, really, I think, a fascinating interview, and I think that the book does have uh, a great deal of, um, of potential. I think it's a, a really... Good read. Uh, you'll find these people criticizing, but um, you know i I think it was a, a very good book, and we're very happy that Yukari Kane was uh, grateful enough to be on the show today. Um, I want to just talk for a few minutes before we end today's broadcast about business and what they can learn from not only Yukari's book but companies like apple and and the idea of innovation and uh, risk versus fear, um, and I think that when you look at Steve Jobs as the CEO of Apple, you know there were people that hated him, many people, but there's no denying the fact that he had an innate ability to motivate people to push people to their limits and expect excellence from them and Up to, obviously, his death, I think that that was accomplished. I think Apple has always been an innovator. And if you can take what Steve Jobs was about and bring it into your world, if you are a business owner, even a small business owner, and and look at what some of the things that he did or the way he thought, or the philosophies that he had. I'm not saying everyone go out and pretend you're Steve Jobs, but if you look at uh, the way he approached risk versus fear, it doesn't seem that he had fear. And obviously, I'm sure he did, but that was never apparent in his decision-making. And the one thing that's so important that I think that you should should kind of pull from Steve's life is that ability to make a decision. When you decide something, it has to be with commitment, with passion. You've got to say, I'm I'm going to decide to do this, and there's no turning back. That doesn't mean that you can't adjust your course as you're implementing your decision, because there's always going to be adjustments necessary. There's always going to be times when what you're doing in order to accomplish your decision, your, your ultimate goal, they need to be tweaked. So that's, that goes without saying. But the idea of making a decision and moving forward, that's where the power comes from. And I think that a lot of small businesses, even some mid sized fail to see that they take more of an operational approach to their business they act more like a COO instead of a CEO and they're they're so hesitant to take chances that instead of doing so they play the safe route they you know they play want to stay safe they want to make sure that um, you know they're still bringing in enough money to get by and that's fine for some people but when you want growth. And when you want to push the envelope, you need to make the hard decisions. You need to say, look, I believe in this. I've done my research. I'm not saying just pick up something and say, all right, let's go do it. Do your research. Analyze the benefits versus the risk, but then make a decision and don't go back on it. You know, obviously again, you know, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. If something's not working, stop doing it. Don't continue to do something that doesn't work. You know, that's that's the definition of insanity. Doing something over and over again that that produces the same result, which is no result. So what I'm suggesting is to take a little bit from him, take a little bit from, from Tim Cook. Look at how they're compared and contrasted in Yakari Kane's book and, and, and sort of adapt your own Steve Jobs approach to your business because innovation is something you can't get away from. It's always been there from, from the steam engine all the way to today. The difference, though, is that technology – You could say it drives industry and drives business. Others will say that business drives technology. But in my world, if you look at the way things are developing, in order to stay relevant in any field, in any market, it's a matter of staying on top of technology. Because when you look at some of the companies that are out there with older individuals at the helm who don't have an understanding of technology – who don't think it's important to check their email every day, you know, various times throughout the day. I think that with with exception of those rare individuals, they become like the dinosaurs. And that's not business driving tech. It's tech driving business. And I think that it's very important to be innovative in what you do, regardless of what industry you're in. You can take a look at, you know, any industry. Look at something that would be so, um, so different from Apple. Bake shop, right? Look at Buddy Velastro and, and Carlos Bakery. It started off as a bakery. That's all it was. It was one location in Hoboken, and it's transformed into a massive tech friendly company he's got multiple locations in uh, New York and New Jersey he obviously has a television show but you know what you'll find is you'll find the inclusion of of social media and tech and i think that it's it's gone from hey you know his father had the vision of creating the bakery look where it is now and you know I'd love to talk to him or anyone else who's been in his position because there's a great deal of risk associated with what he did. He took a successful bakery and said, I want more. So that's fascinating. And I think that it's something that everyone has to embrace if you want your business to succeed. So proprietor all the way up to multimillion-dollar business corporations. It's something that you must pull from Apple, whether you like them or not, and whether it's Apple itself or Steve Jobs, you know find out more about, about him, about them, about how they do things, and try to apply that approach within reason to your business. And I think it's always a very um, exciting and positive thing to do to learn from the successes and failures of others, people who have already done it. Why recreate the wheel when you can look at what other people have done and you can look at their mistakes, you can look at their successes, and you can take bits and pieces from what they've done and apply them to your business. You know, that's genius. look at what people have done out there. Look at Steve Jobs look at his innovation put aside maybe some of his crazy antics put aside his rants and you know the way that he would sometimes treat people but pull from him the positives to help your business grow your business be innovative yukari kane's book is very interesting and it's it's interesting because it is and in, in, Yes, there's some opinion, but it's an observation of, its, of Apple's current situation. And I think that Apple's response, uh, the response of it's nonsense, I think that's just its standard response. I guarantee you that people are reading that book at Apple, and they will take information from it because that's how Apple has succeeded. You can say they – have succeeded because they don't listen to customers and they just move forward with their own vision. But that's not necessarily true. No successful company does whatever the heck they want and never listens to the customer. It's just not happening. So look at yourself Make a self-critical analysis of yourself and your business because you are part of your business. You can't say, "This is me in, in my business hat, this is me in my you know home life hat." They're, they're one and the same. Whether you're a CEO, whether you are um, the owner of a landscaping company, your business and you are connected, and you cannot separate them. Look at yourself. Perform this self-critical analysis. You know, if Apple truly is just rejecting this book and not looking at themselves and saying, hey, is there any fabric of truth in here that we can pull and try to make it better? Well, then they're very foolish, but I don't think that's happening. But a lot of, of small business owners They don't want to hear the negatives. They don't want to ask customers for feedback because they don't want to have something negative. You know what? You should ask for feedback all the time. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have to take every single comment from a consumer or customer client and say, well, we've got to make this change. You might look at it and say, well, this person doesn't get it. They don't get what it is that I'm trying to accomplish, and I'm not going to change. But you, at that moment, made a decision. But in other scenarios, in other situations, when you get feedback from clients and customers, it's beneficial. It shows you what's working, what's not working. You know, I found that in this modern technological age where online reviews are the norm and product reviews are the norm and people look to other consumers... For information about a restaurant, a business, a product, I find that people are more honest than they were in the past. There's a forum. I mean, you can go to a website like Amazon, and you can look at a product before you buy it. You forget Consumer Reports or any of these other publications. Go look on Amazon. Look at what the consumers themselves have said. And you have to obviously be cognizant of the fact that there are people out there that are just going to be haters. There are people out there that are going to post positive reviews just because they're you know, related to the product manufacturer or whatnot. But if you look at the heart of the, uh, the feedback, it's, it's extremely beneficial to you as a consumer, but look what it can do to the manufacturer. Look at a company like um, uh, Fitbit. So Fitbit is a manufacturer of fitness-related uh, tracking devices. And originally, Fitbit was something that was a clip-on device, and it was it was like a technologically enhanced pedometer. So it told you how many steps, how many stairs you climb, how many calories you burn. It's very similar to some of the other products uh, like the Nike Fuel Band and and uh, Um, you know, some of the other ones that are out there. But Fitbit, uh, I I personally prefer Fitbit, and the company is innovative. They're constantly coming up with new designs, and they try to do it right. And so they made a band, uh, I guess it was around a year ago, and it lacked certain capabilities. It lacked, for example, the ability to track uh, going up and down stairs. And for some people, that's important. And they came out with a new one, and it was, uh, I believe it's called the Fitbit Force. And people were complaining about skin irritation when wearing the band. Now, I have to tell you, I bought one. I had no skin irritation. Um, I would imagine that the vast majority of users had no skin irritation. I can't figure out what the skin irritation would be caused from because it's the same material as its prior band, the Flex. But that's not the point. The point is that as soon as feedback started coming in, Fitbit on its own decided to pull the band and refund consumers. They didn't wait for a recall ordered by a court or by a product manufacturing group or by, um, you know, or through, I should say, a class action. They said, here's the feedback we're getting. Now we have to do something with it. And what they did was, I think, brilliant. And what should have been done? Recall them internally without being directed to do so. Refund customers. Now, I would say, Uh, to those people who were trying to decide whether or not you go with a, a company like Nike or Fitbit, that has to say a great deal about their commitment to their customers because they listened to the feedback, they made changes, and they did the right thing. And it's very similar to the way that Steve Jobs approached Apple. That's absolutely something that I could see him having done issue a recall before someone tells you to stop selling the product and then refund money or repair the product. So there's a a good parallel there. uh, But I want to wrap up. I just want to point out and illustrate that um, as a small business, mid-sized business, or large business, you have to be innovative. You have to look Within yourself, you have to look at your company, your organization. You have to make sure you have the right people in place. And you have to be willing to bring in feedback from your clients and consumers and customers and make changes. And then I think that that's the you know, ultimate formula for success. Now, being a rigid, this is what we're doing and it doesn't make a difference, all of you be damned, does not work in today's world. So we're going to conclude for today. I, again, wanted uh, to just thank uh, Yukari Kane and encourage you to pick up her book, Haunted Empire, Apple After Steve Jobs. I'd love to have her back, and she said she'd like to come, so hopefully we can do that. We can take some of your questions that you might have for her, and then we can, uh, we can ask her on the air when she comes back. That would be wonderful. Uh, before we leave, I just want to remind everybody... Uh, that we now have a unique app that is exclusively, talking about Apple, exclusively on iTunes. It can be downloaded from the iTunes App Store. It is available for the iPhone and for iPad. Uh, You just search my name, Peter Lamont, or the law offices of Peter Lamont, and it will come up. Uh, What's unique about this app is that this is not a, a law firm app where uh, we're going to call a cab for you because we're going to handle your car accident case or any of that nonsense. And it's not a shameless self-promotion, if you will. There's real value to this app. And and the idea behind it is I wanted to make something that was helpful and useful to the people out there. You know, my my mission, if you will, is to sort of um, break through the... uh, the veil of mystery surrounding the law and the practice of law and and give information to people that you can really use so the app has a feature on it where you can ask a question to an attorney in my office and you can do it right from your phone right from your ipad ask your question and you'll get an answer and it's not going to be an answer like um you know you'll have to hire an attorney unless that is the answer. But there will always be more explanation. So I encourage you to download that app. In addition to the Ask a Question feature, you'll be able to see uh, the episodes of Understanding the Law, uh, the video portion of that. You'll also be able to review the vast video library that we have. And I want to just talk about that for one second. Our YouTube channel has been updated and now contains multiple programs that I think would be beneficial to the general public. We have a basic law section where those videos talk about uh, areas of law that people are interested in learning more about, what some of the basics of law are, what's a complaint, what's a motion for summary judgment. We also have the understanding the law video library on, on YouTube, which is a playback of the uh, the video of our radio shows, we also have a practical law session where we're going to once a week be giving people instruction, actual how to instruction uh, concerning some of the uh, legal uh, forms and processes that uh, you might you might need to do as if you're representing yourself pro se without an attorney. You know, I don't want to see people say, hey, I I need a a question answered, or how do I fill this out? Who do I go to? My case doesn't have a high dollar value, so I don't want to hire an attorney because I'll be losing money. And so, you know, I think it's really important that this information is provided. So that's the practical law session. We also have a legal Q&A where we're going to take the questions that we receive on a weekly basis, and we're going to answer them going to read the question and answer them. So check that out too, because a lot of the questions that are being asked are general questions that people want answers to. And so you're going to find answers to those questions there. And then finally, we have a You Be the Judge section, which we are continuing to develop. It's fun. It's just simple fun. Uh, We're going to give you a scenario of a real life case. And we're either going to ask you what you think happened in the case, uh, why you think something something happened, or what the dollar value of that case is. What's the court decision? How did that case turn out? Um, and we'll see as the, as the, the program develops. Um, maybe we could make some fun out of it and give away some prizes and that sort of thing. So check out those channels or those programs on the YouTube channel and download the app so that you can get your legal questions out there and someone will respond to it. So, um, you know, do both those things, and I I think that, uh, you know, you'll find them very helpful. Make sure you subscribe on the YouTube channel, and then go to the App Store, and then download the app. So that's going to, uh, to wrap it up. We're going to wrap it up for today. This is Episode 45. Thursday, because we have two shows this week, Thursday, Episode 46, is going to be another fascinating show. We have Kevin Knight, and he is an entrepreneur and a trainer of professional wrestlers. He has worked with top names in the industry. Uh, He has a school here in New Jersey, and he trains guys uh, and girls to become professional wrestlers. Uh, He's worked with people like uh, WWE, Darren Young, and uh, it's really, first of all, a unique business. He's a unique guy and it'll be a really uh, great show so that's going to be Thursday at 10 o'clock obviously if you can't make the live broadcast you can always download the show from iTunes or uh, directly from our website It's www.understandingthelaw.com so I'd like to thank you for joining me today uh, thank uh, our, our guest Yukari uh, one final note I just want to thank our sponsor Today's show is sponsored by Organico Health Food Store. Uh, It's an award-winning cafe and juice bar. It's located at 475 North Franklin Turnpike in Ramsey, New Jersey. Stop in or call them at 201-934-5511, or you can visit them online at organicogrocerycafe.com. So thanks to them for sponsoring today's show. Please tune in Thursday for Episode 46, our interview with Kevin Knight. And remember that there's power in understanding the law.
2: The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening